The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general in nature. You should always consider your situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Okay, all right. So, uh, the cursing lamp is off. Cursing lamp is off. Oh, shoot. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Are you beep, catching me? <laughs> so, so this guy, this guy's gun went off in the cockpit. Yeah. What, 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 what is up with that? How in the world? Did you see the pictures? So there's pictures yeah. on this website, yeah. right? Um, yeah. It shows I, a bullet hole in the side of the, of the uh, cockpit. I mean, like... He had to aim to not hit something important. All right. My, hit- my question is: Is there a bullet hole on the case he's required to use to? That's a very that? good question. Yeah, that's I mean, a- that's what I want to know. How did he hit the? So it appears because that- if there's not a bullet hole in the case, then uh, right. He was showing you, the gun off. You see off where to this somebody. is going. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. I know this poor. He's guy. showing a gun off to the flight attendant. And yeah, I'm, I got to bet. I got to bet money. And I'll get myself in trouble, and I really don't uh-huh. care. But uh-huh. I got to bet money that this is a guy. It would strike me as a guy for whom handling firearms was a new thing when he got trained by the right. Federal Flight Deck Officers Program and right. approved to carry that. Right. Because from age about six, when my father first let me handle one of his twenty-two single-shot bolt-action rifles, squirrel gun, uh, that you didn't pick up or put down anything without clearing the chamber first. Mm-hmm. And you only put something in the chamber when you were in a mode to use it. Right. And my understanding of this program is those guns get transported on and off the aircraft in a case and are to be taken out of the case and charged, that is, around chambered, when needed. Now, the idea that the fact that we apparently have a bullet hole in the side of an aircraft, as attested to by the photograph, would say that there was a round in the chamber. Yes. Yeah. Either that or there was a second immaculate conception. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know what kind of gun it was? Here, let me re- this is a story it, it from... It was a uh, 10 millimeter H&K. That's a forty caliber. Uh, right. That's forty caliber. Right. What is that's that for, a, for us who don't know anything about guns? What, what does that really mean? How big is? What? It's four tenths of an inch. Okay. Yes, yeah, tenths of an inch, sure. And then and ten millimeter is is uh, just shy of uh, half an inch. Uh, those of us who work on Japanese motorcycles, um, and um, yeah, it, it was a semi-automatic uh, uh, pistol. It's a silly uh, millimeter bigger than a nine mil. Right. And. Right. Uh, Proportionately more powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it depends is a on high load, velocity round. D- depends on the oh, load, yeah. but yeah, that's I mean, true, I don't know. True, I, true, I, I would I guess doubt, seriously, you'd carry high velocity course, on an aircraft. Well, and, you know, that's that's kind of where I was going to come to next. Is that uh, you know, it's a good thing they use these low velocity rounds so they don't puncture the pressure vessel of an airliner. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Oops! Kind of well, missed out on that one, didn't we? You so, know, after uh, being fooled but, by any number of movie special effects, James right. Bond, and and uh, uh, 
you know, uh, Harrison Ford, who I love to death as an actor and a pilot, uh, in, in a movie about the president saving his own airplane, Air Force One, from hijackers. Uh, but the guys on Mythbusters, Adam and Jamie. Yeah. Very cool a, show, by the way. That's very cool show. But they did an episode where they examined the question of whether firing a bullet through the hull, the pressure vessel of a pressurized aircraft, would in and of itself cause the catastrophic uh, disintegration of the airplane. Uh, because we've seen that. Or would it suck people out the window? Right. And in, in no, most so cases, in their the test, did they busted. shoot? In their test, did they shoot through the through the, the the skin or through a window? Both. Both. Okay. And so, okay, what happened? Uh, a lot of air leaked out. Yeah. But that was it. It didn't suck people, you know, from the forward cabin. So it probably would have had a rapid effect on your eardrums. Yeah. And yeah. admittedly, the, the element that uh, occurred to me that was missing in an otherwise pretty decent experiment, taking an old airliner hull and pumping it up with an air compressor to get a pressure differential comparable to what you'd get at, at altitude. The one element, the two elements that were missing from the equation was the bone-chilling temperature difference mm-hmm. when you're at that altitude because they did it at close to sea level. And the velocity of the air moving over the structure Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a couple instances, they pressurized it even higher, and they finally blew out a section of the fuselage with explosives before they could get anything bad to happen. Right, right. So, now, but are, the federal flight deck officer, uh, you know, the only thing more embarrassing would have been if he shot himself in a place that would be embarrassing, <laughs> or shot the FO or something, you know. But the the thing that just I'm just still chortling about it. Chortling maybe is not the right word in this situation. <laughs> um, the the Associated Press, the, the the cut lines that they put on the on the two images that they're running um, here is uh, airline officials have said the accidental discharge Saturday aboard flight one five three six from Denver to Charlotte did not pose a danger to those on board. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. uh, blowing snow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's entirely accurate. Yeah, really. What if the what if the firearm had been aimed like instead of out the side of the fuselage, maybe back towards the passenger compartment? Exactly. Well, maybe you know? they know something about his shooting skills. <laughs> yeah. There's no maybe danger was... because the guy couldn't hit the inside of an airplane. Well, wait a minute, he couldn't yeah. hit the inside of an airplane. <laughs> could hit the broad side of an Airbus. But oh, wait a second, time out. Uh, Only uh, if you put him inside first. That's right. Uh, uh, somebody's you know some, somebody's going to be. Uh, well, his career's over. Let's put it that way. Yeah, right. Man, oh, man. Well, I don't know if we're going to hear anything more about this, but I'm kind of curious to hear. I don't know. I would love to hear the CVR in that oh, 15 oh, minutes oh, leading oh, up to the sound of, and then for the I, first five minutes afterwards. I was going to say, the, the, the five minutes preceding and the five minutes after would be comedy gold. <laughs> Well, it's like that NTSB investigation that you guys heard about, yeah. you know, where they put cockpit voice recorders in pickup trucks all across the country. Oh, no. yeah. And in 49 of the 50 states, uh, you know, the last words of the driver before an accident were usually, oh, or mother. I'm sorry. Oh, beep. Or yeah, all right. Okay. We'll fix that later on. Accept in and fill in the state of your choice. In which, in which state where the last words were always, hey, guys, watch this. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, y'all, watch this. Honey, but, have you ever seen a 40 millimeter in the cockpit? And she says, right. uh, okay, that's I don't think you right? could blow it up that big. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode number 74 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. An uncontrolled discharge. <laughs> recording this episode, David. We're recording this episode on Wednesday evening, March twenty sixth, two thousand. Uncontrolled airspace after dark. Right. And we're now about. Uh, we're a little little under two weeks from uh, heading on down to Florida, or Dave and I are heading down to Florida for the Sun and Fun Flying, which is going to be a lot of fun. We're expecting uh, a little bit later on in the uh, in the podcast to have uh, a visitor here in the hangar, uh, our friend John Burton from uh, oh, Sun and Fun Flying. He's going to stop for- by and uh, and and regale us with stories about what we can expect uh, in a couple of weeks down in Lakeland. But uh, and hopefully, some things that. We can expect to not. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, let me say hi to my friends here in the hangar. That's Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. And he's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Oh, doing balmy. I'm beginning to feel like I'll never get all the work done that's got to be done before Lakeland. Oh, yeah, there is that. Which is, huh? means getting to Lakeland's actually going to be a relief. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, how's spring? How's spring coming there in Wichita? Well, we're finally starting to see some things bud out. Yeah, and I'm not talking a, a brewery joke here. Uh, yeah, you know, the, but the trees are still pretty much naked. Uh, we can say that without beeping, it, can't we? The trees yeah, are still pretty much naked. That's that's okay. Uh, we're still getting overnight lows in the low 30s, but highs in the mid 60s. So. Yeah. You know, it's kind of right on the cusp of things. We've got a couple of different breeds of hawks and a couple of different breeds of owls that have set up shop in the park next door. Uh, and a whole lot of uh, whole lot of small birds we don't usually see until it's safe. Mm-hmm. And actually saw my first dandelion bud two days ago. So uh, we're really getting close to spring and, uh, and, uh, and herbicide season. That's just that's such a foreign concept. Yeah, okay. And also here in the hangar is Jeb Burnside. <laughs> Jeb is an aviation journalist, currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And a foreign concept in his own right. That's right. He's talking, that's to, right. Us, talking to us Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm fine, Jack. I hope, I hope uh, you were well. I hope uh, everybody's you know warm and cozy uh, uh, here in uh, late March. It's uh, been kind of windy and breezy and, and whatnot down here. It was actually supposedly in the 40s uh, the night before last. Uh, I, did, I didn't get out. for you, man. I know. I know. Um, we were out. Uh, oh, man, you must have had to put on socks. We exactly right. We were out over on the water uh, Monday night, and uh, you know, trying to get something to eat, and and hanging out with some some old friends, and uh, uh, it was downright chilly uh, with the breeze blowing off the water, and uh, had to you know wear long sleeves. It was it was isn't it disapp- funny how relative things are? It is. <laughs> in, it in truly Florida, is. Those temperatures and winds were jacket weather. Mm-hmm. Yep. In Green Bay, it was shorts and sandals weather. That's right. It'd be shorts just, and sandals this time of year in Green yeah. Bay. That's right. <laughs> and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. We're spring Our is, Jack H. Spring is really late taking hold up here. It's just... Uh, it's it's but it's getting there and in the last week or so it's been noticeably warmer each day but we haven't got a 60 degree day yet we're supposed to get a 60 degree day sometime in the next couple of days i hope knock on wood yeah, yeah good luck definitely noticing an uptick in ga traffic around here yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, there were a couple of weeks earlier in the month where it seemed like every time I heard traffic departing mid-continent, uh, it was on climb out, and I couldn't see it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You, you knew they were up there, and you knew exactly the route they were flying because that's the one that, uh, you know, Wichita departure gives people coming off one nine right. But there'd be sound, fury, but no sight. <laughs> So what's going well, on? This, you got, this yeah. too shall pass. Yeah. This too oh, yeah. shall pass. So it's a you know it's a good thing we've got a friend coming by the hangar because it's kind of a slow news week in terms of aviation, other than people shooting up their airplanes from the inside. I was going to say, you know, yeah. when was the last time an airplane was shot down by a weapon from the inside? Yes. Well, you know, that's that's an interesting question. There have been episodes um, where uh-huh. uh, people are going like coyote hunting from uh, uh, you know, say Super Cub. And um, they get to, you know basically a pilot and and a, and a shooter with the with the rifle, uh, and they get low and slow and and they're you know the uh, you know maybe the coyote is really smarter than them and kind of does a few things that that gets the pilot into a bad situation, but there have been more than uh, a handful of situations where um, a crew, a pilot and a and a, and a gunner have uh, crashed the airplane. Uh, trying to wrap it around and come back for a coyote they missed or something like that. I, I think the coyotes are really smarter than the pilots, though. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, well, they definitely are better at low-speed maneuvering. Right, right. I, I had the opportunity well, Wasn't there an incident years several years ago when a guy uh, somehow or another wounded himself with his own weapon in flight oh. this twin and, and and no that was a that was a centurion i i, I know a little bit about that actually because the guy was based at manassas um this was back uh in the late 80s and um he was flying a centurion took off from manassas he was an attorney uh in downtown dc took off in his own centurion headed for the bahamas and basically went nordo and Nordo and um, no radio communication. Right. Um, the uh, this is of course well before nine eleven. As I say, it was in the late eighties. Um, ATC couldn't converse with him. They didn't know what was going on. Um, they sent uh, I don't know some fighter aircraft uh, to to look for him and, and get up close and personal, try to get his attention. And sure enough, whatever the aircraft was, an F sixteen or F fifteen, whatever. Um, Got got found the airplane, found the Centurion, got in close yeah, formation with him, made visual contact, and and there was the the what they saw was a little bit ambiguous. Uh, he wasn't the airplane was cruising on autopilot. The pilot uh, would move every now and then. Um, he he uh, was not Still acknowledging responding to radio, right? Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't acknowledging the radio. He wasn't responding. He he wasn't acknowledging signals from the uh, the fighter planes that were accompanying him and whatnot. Um, and um, then you know at some point he he finally did kind of wake up and and say something and this kind of thing as I recall. Um, they um, the, the centurion then started trying to. Uh, you know, go to an airport, and in this case, he was out over the Atlantic on the way to the Bahamas. Um, tried to, you know, change course and, and go towards an airport, but literally ran out of fuel. Yeah. Uh, if, before that could happen, so he, he they hit he hit the water, 
and uh, the airplane sunk. He got out of it, uh, but he was wounded. And um, he had um, apparently a, a firearm had discharged. So the story went. The stink of it was um, that uh, there were there were enough inconsistencies, uh, for lack of a better term, in his story and in the physical evidence that it raised more uh, raised more questions than it really answered. Um, as it happens, um, before that episode occurred. I was with a guy, um, I was flying right seat with a guy uh, who was working to try to get his BFR back. I was serving as pilot in command, uh, but to save him some, some money on dual instruction, we were out uh, um, doing some work, just trying to get him sna- snapped back in so he could go uh, with an instructor. And uh, we were in a pattern at Manassas, you know, 172. And this guy in a Centurion comes smoking in the pattern, and uh, gets on the radio and says, get that Skyhawk out of the way, or words to that effect. And uh, I'm like, who, what the, you know, kind of thing is this going on? And I just told my uh, my erstwhile student to just, you know, maintain straight and level. We were on downwind at the time. And the guy finally said something else over the Unicom frequency and basically did a, did a wing over. Uh, pulled all the power off of his air of a centurion and turned inside of us from the downwind basically made a 180 degree turn and, and turned final and landed this was well before manassas had a control tower so he could get away with stuff like that um but i swear it was the same guy hmm. who, who, who was flying the same airplane because the, the colors matched. i didn't know enough to to you know write down the end number i didn't i couldn't even see the end number it was a three inch end number but uh, i didn't make a note of the airplane's end number from the unicom uh, uh transmission and uh by the time we got back on the runway uh he was long gone so i but i'm i'm sure uh, to this day it was the same guy well, you know, just there's a lesson to be learned here, and, mm-hmm. and a number of my friends fly with uh, survival rifles right. in their aircraft because they, with some regularity, uh, traverse landscape overfly, mm-hmm. where going down could be, you could be there for a while, right? And it's in parts of the country where some of the critters that live there could hurt you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, it's not so much, well, I can feed myself on rabbits and small game. No, it's like I can maybe keep something bigger than me. From right. feeding on me, yeah. Right. Make, you know, we, making we, me what they live off of. We think we're at the top of the food chain, and, and you know, in urban settings we are, but uh, not so much uh, out in other I, areas. I've never, known, I've never known an aviator, whether they carry a survival rifle or a handgun, which uh, I know some others that do that. Ever uh, other than revolvers, okay, no semi-automatics, no mm-hmm. uh, semi-automatic handguns or rifles, not even bolt-action stuff. Did they carry with a round in the chamber? Nope, doesn't happen. It shouldn't it's happen. Like, put it you that know, way. Fundamental. So yeah. I'm wondering, maybe this guy had very small terrorists. <laughs> and they got be, sucked out that little bitty hole. That's right. Be very, very careful. We are hunting wabbit. <laughs> That's all, folks. Moving on. Let's see now. So, yeah, 
Yet another bizarre story in the news. I don't know, maybe it's not bizarre. It's, well, I'll tell you why this is close to my heart. Here's the story. Lie on your medical, go to jail. Um, so uh, this no, guy... It's not lie on your medical, get caught, go to jail. Yeah, yeah that's right. Well, it's, it's just uh, lie on your medical... Uh, get caught by virtue of having a an episode on a 121 operation right. or, an, or a commercial operation where a passenger has to, has to crash land the airplane. Yeah. Then go is, to jail. Let me read. Let me read two paragraphs from the story. Please, this is from please, a story yes. on uh, AOPA online, uh, aopa.org. Ronald Cruz was sentenced to six months in federal prison and two years of supervised release on March 20th after pleading guilty in uh, in 2007 to four counts of making false statements to a federal agency, according to the District of Massachusetts U.S. Attorney's Office. Cruz had made false statements to the FAA about his diabetes and dependence on insulin injections. The charges resulted from an investigation into a February 2002 incident in which Cruz suffered a diabetic seizure while conducting an air taxi flight from Vineyard, Mass. to Hyannis for Mass. Boy, that's Massachusetts really based. hard to explain away. Yeah. One yeah, of the, it says, one of the four passengers on board the twin-engine Cessna 402 air taxi flight was a student pilot who subsequently took control of the aircraft, according to FAA Aviation Safety Information and Analysis Sharing Brief Report. If you hadn't had to be saved by a student, it would have never come up. That's right. Yeah, well, of course, <laughs> they, they'd have just smacked into the ocean somewhere, you know, east of there, and that would have been all she wrote, and no one would have been the wiser. But uh, um, well, diabetes is, is such a, uh, uh, I don't know what the word would be, such a... Uh, uh, disabling right. uh, disease in so many different ways. So is, um, is it a, is it a flat out disqualification? It is no. absolutely. It is. No, it is not. Well, well it, it depends it, on what you're flying. If you fly, yeah, I think it may be yeah. for 121. Yeah, it is. Well, not it, for it, it depends 91. on the diabetes. There's there are different types of diabetes, of course. Um, but um, you can uh, you can. I've got several friends that are insulin dependent mm-hmm. who have their medicals. Okay. And fly pretty regularly. Now, the conditions on which they get their medical, the testing requirements, the frequency and the uh, uh, the requirements for before and during that they have to follow are pretty onerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to be really dedicated to flying and uh, as a diabetic to do this. But it's possible to do it because it was one of the great, great medical uh, certification victories, the uh, of AOPA. Uh, I don't know, a little better than a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, what you cannot do is lie about it and expect to keep your certificate if you get caught. Well, here's the question. This my, is not a first. Yeah, this is not a first. Here's here's uh, uh, my question. Here, of course, is um, um, he was charged with making false statements to a federal agency. But federal agencies make false statements to us all the time. Isn't this okay. fair play? <laughs> yeah, all right. That's right. It was just evening the score. You, right? That's right. That's right. You, 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 really, you really want to get... I don't, no, I don't want to go there. I yeah, don't right. Want to. I know, I know, I know. Okay. I don't, I, the I, reason I, this I, is close to my heart, I should say, is because just coincidentally, today, I got my medical uh, re-upped. and. So I'm I'm progressing along the path to getting my BFR. I'm hoping is to get the, it. Has the NTSB been notified? Yeah, they have. They have, and uh, and uh, they uh, BFR. That's that's a 
big freaking review, right? <laughs> That's right. I don't know. It might be big for me. What time will tell? But uh, I sort of have a hope. I, I'm gotten a little bit later in this than I thought than I wanted to, and, and I'm not going to rush it. But I, I still kind of have hold out hope that I'm going to get uh, get my BFR done before we arrive in Lakeland. But uh, more on that later on. But uh, but just so just today I'm filling out the form and. Uh, you know, checking all my little boxes, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm just like, you know, and, and of course, I, I absolutely, absolutely told the truth on this, but I'm thinking to myself, you know, boy, I got to say no on all of these, and oh, good, I managed to say no on all of them. And uh, uh, one, one real quick correction here. Yeah. I think earlier in this discussion about uh, Mr. Cruz and his diabetes and his uh, uh, sentence, we said six months, right. but the full story says 16. Yeah. And uh, Dave, Dave, you, either you way is too mic. many. Dave, you moved your mic. We can't hear you well. How's 16? There you they go. Did 16 yeah. months. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how that happened. Anyways. Anyway, anyway you don't want to do this. Uh, my first documented encounter with a pilot who had been lying to his employer and to the FAA was about... 21, 22 years ago in investigating long after the fact uh, some information about a, uh, a much prior airline crash at DFW. And uh, the NTSB had received a petition to reopen the investigation uh, and, and look at some new information. Uh, you know, the probable cause was built around the, uh, the crew's decision to fly an approach into a cell with visible lightning. Hmm. And, uh, as things bore out over the ensuing years, the captain, had been taking uh, antipsychosis medication, which is disqualifying anyway, and not telling his employer and not telling the FAA and not telling his wife. And he had about four doctors and several different scripts and several different pharmacies from which he was receiving this. And when his wife called him on it, he said it was for something called bruxism, which is grinding your teeth in your sleep. Oh, okay, yeah. I used to date a lady with bruxism. Let me tell you. Uh, really, no, 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 no. Really loud, really loud, really loud teeth in the middle of the night will drive you to drink. I need a drink. But but the guy was going to great lengths. Well, the physician's desk reference for this particular medication had some very, very, very distinct, clear-cut guidelines, unlike other stuff that we might get from other bureaucracies. It said that you don't take this medication because of its power, because of how it can change the way a person acts and thinks in correcting the problem that they've got. You don't take it for more than two weeks at a time, and you're off of it for at least two weeks. And using it for, and I forget how many months out of a year, was not a good idea. And nowhere was it indicated for use to correct bruxism. <laughs> well, the guy, the guy had apparently, from the evidence that was available, had been on it for two, two and a half years. Wow. Nonstop. 
which raised the whole question yep. about his mental fitness to fly and his judgment mm-hmm. when he told his first officer, oh, yeah, we've seen lightning like that lots of times before. Just fly right through it. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so there was a story about a couple – wasn't there a story a couple months ago about how the FAA busted a whole – they discovered that a lot of people – a lot more people than they ever realized were lying on their medical forms? And uh, they, well, yeah, was they, a, What was the latest yeah, – what became of that we story? We talked about this. This was a um, House of Representatives committee uh, that um, had a study, some investigation they conducted. I don't know if they went back and looked at FAA um, enforcement records or – um, how they came across this data. They did their own survey, whatever. But uh, they did make the charge that the FAA was not following up on obvious uh, or at least uh, suspected falsifications of medical records and specifically uh, sought ways for the FAA to beef up its um, its medical certification process to preclude um, uh, falsehoods or, or misleading statements, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I suspect uh, at the end of the day that uh, uh, the episode we're talking about, where the guy uh, uh, passed out and, and uh, the, the student pilot had to ended up uh, gear upping the, the Cessna 402, I suspect that the two are connected as, as far as uh, FAA enforcement is oh, concerned. Really? Okay. Uh, just you know, they, they have to clamp down on occasion when when uh, uh, the hill gets um, uh, gets a bee in its bonnet. Um, but nothing, you know, I, I'll. I'll I'm almost hesitate to say it. I'm not aware of anything um, specific or new uh, coming out of any of that. Now there may be some provision buried in uh, in the yeah. reauthorization bill uh, that speaks to this. Um, that's a good question. If there uh, is, it's it, it, if there is, it's evaded yeah. all the alphabet groups. Because that, and, and no one heard from. Yeah, them. no one said a word about it, or, or you know they. It's the kind of thing where you know they kind of have to lie down and enjoy it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm um, so glad I didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead, Jeb. But, go ahead, Lightning uh, Rod. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, what I, I, I was going to say this this uh, talking about flying impaired. Um, I, as as many of our listeners know, as you two know, uh, I used to work as a line boy. Uh, back uh, one glorious summer, uh, many moons ago, and I distinctly remember one day, um, one afternoon, I'm standing at the at the gas pumps as this the Skyhawk comes taxiing in, and uh, I did not know the gentleman flying it, but uh, uh, one of the one of my coworkers uh, at the airport did know him uh, and knew the airplane, this kind of thing, and. Uh, he comes taxiing in and does okay, and you know, no issues, and pulls up beside the gas pumps and shuts down and opens the door and falls out of the airplane. <laughs> now, eh. you know, I, I'm kind of like, kind of like, you know, it's not funny. It's not funny. Kind of like the, uh, the the Supreme Court in obscenity. I'm not a physician, <laughs> but I, but I know trunk when I see it. <laughs> This, this guy had had a few beers, and I didn't see any beer cans rolling out of the airplane or anything like that. But we, we, uh, you know, I put some gas in his airplane. You know, hey, you know, he got he's got good money, um, and um, we uh, called the local sheriff and said, you know, hey guys, uh, good, 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 good. need to kind of hustle on out here, and this is why. 
and we tried to you know delay him, detain him, whatever. Of course, we were powerless to really do that. Um, but of course, the sheriff didn't get there in time, and, and he, he got it back in his airplane and, and took off. Uh, oh. He wasn't. He wasn't a local pilot in the sense that he was based at the airport, but he was a local pilot in the sense that he was based at a nearby airport. Mm-hmm. And um, either the local sheriff where we were called over there, or one of my coworkers called over to that county uh, and alerted that law enforcement, and, and they did catch him when he landed. And uh, I don't know the outcome, but I suspect um, uh, this was a long time ago. This was well before the the uh, current and justified uh, emphasis on drunk driving and, and things of this sort. So, I you know what what happened to him? I have no clue. But it was well, it's 20, just a funny story. The guy fell out of the airplane twenty odd years ago, uh, when my uh, work life and. Despite what one of my clients told me today, I was too young to work in Washington in the Reagan years. It's like I just want to kiss the girl. <laughs> uh, but that said, yeah, she doesn't know was, you very well. well. Well, we've seen one another physically. She knows how old I look. Uh, all I can do is take that as a compliment. But uh, back during my days, still working inside the Beltway, when uh, I called a lot more. Uh, People at 800 Independence, uh, friends of mine, and 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 uh, people that I saw socially than I than I can today. I remember hearing a story of a friend of mine at 800 Independence, the FAA, had come back from a uh, work trip. Uh, he was on assignment to help investigate the need for some possible new regulations, which led to an NPRM, which led to the rules, and everybody lived happily ever after. But he was boarding the aircraft, the, the airliner that was going to take him from the next, from that point to the next point, right behind the captain. And as the captain was taking off his coat and hanging it up and sticking his chart bag in the cockpit, my friend tapped him on the shoulders and introduced himself as an employee of the FAA. And when he told me this story, he said, I was really glad there wasn't a spark in the air. Mm -hmm. The guy smelled, you know, like a a corn whiskey distillery, was breathing it, sweating it. Uh, It was obvious. I mean, like the the, the smell of body sweat and the the look of the skin and all that. So my friend, you know, the guy shook hands. His hands were cold and sweaty. And uh, my friend took his seat in the back and asked the flight attendant if he could speak to the first officer. Showed his ID and impressed upon her that this was an official request. This was very important. And it was a little really outside his turf. Mm -hmm. But he wound up being quite late. For his destination, because the message he delivered to the first officer was that the uh, captain was in no shape to be serving as pilot in command, and he would hate to think what might befall the first officer (laughs) if he got caught up in the net of not doing something about the captain flying drunk. So did they bust the captain, or did they just let it kind of let them solve the problem? I could not tell you. Yeah. All I know is that that flight didn't leave on time, and it did not leave with that flight crew. Yeah, yeah. Well, it did get to its destination, and everyone lived. That's right. 
just a little bit late. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the absolute spirit of my uh, my, my longtime friends, and we're still longtime friends, uh, his insistence that he wasn't trying to uh, lord over anybody and he wasn't interested in the vendetta, he never followed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once yeah, he knew that his flight wasn't leaving on time because they were waiting on a crew, they were waiting out a crew scheduling problem was the announcement uh, yeah, over the okay. window. Uh-huh. We've got a flight time duty time conflict here, and uh, well, we're gonna not going to be able to depart before the duty day runs out for this uh, for this flight crew. So we're well, sorry, we're going to be late. Right out. Yeah. Okay. Well, joining us now in the virtual hangar is a, an old friend of ours from uh, he, he was actually on the podcast just about a year ago and. And, uh, and he was a great host to us when we visited Lakeland last summer down for the Sun and Fun Fly-In. With us now in the hangar is uh, John Burton, the president of the Sun and Fun Fly-In. Hi, John. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. How are you all? Uh, looking forward to the trip. Absolutely. So where are you, John? You're, you're down at, you're in Lakeland, right? You're, you must be in the Sun and Fun offices. Is that correct? Absolutely. We're just trying to wrap up uh, yet another day of preparing for this year's uh, Sun and Fun Flying, which uh, is less than uh, uh, 12 days out. So we're, uh, oh, we're, we're going we're pretty good. Within two weeks now. That's great. It must, be pretty yeah. much a, it must be pretty much a madhouse down there. Tell us a little bit about what's going on on the site and how preparations are going. Well, there's a tremendous amount of activity throughout the site. Tents are going up. The volunteers are scrambling all over to complete some of the last-minute uh, paint and repair and, and uh, all of those kind of jobs. Uh, but it's, it's really interesting to see a, a virtual city uh, that's going up right before our very eyes in, in preparation for opening day. So it's, it's exciting. Uh, you know, it's, it's long days and, and uh, uh, a lot of work, but it's, it's really exciting when, when you can sit at the end of the day and see how much has been accomplished uh, as we count down the days to opening day. Yeah. So here I we guess are. you're kind of at that stage where it looks different at quitting time than it did when you rolled in in the morning, isn't it? <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on, and, and uh, you know, whenever you can apply a lot of resources to any challenge, uh, uh, a lot of work can get done in a short amount of time. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot going on. So approximately uh, how many people are, are on site working these day, that right now? We're just a little under two weeks from the beginning of the event. Right. Well, we have about 100 uh, of our early bird volunteers, some of whom arrived all the way back in October, who have been working all those months to get ready for the fly-in. Uh, we probably have a couple hundred folks here uh, that are engaged in some type of activity uh, in preparing for the fly-in. So it's, there's, there's quite a few people, and, and with those people comes vehicles and uh, the tent folks are are uh, zipping all over, so it's uh, uh, we have to remember that we have to take a safety first attitude, uh, even in the days leading up to the fly-in. Yeah. Jeb, you had a question? No, I was just uh, I just going to say I, I'm really looking forward to getting up there. I uh, had a very close look at uh, runway five uh, earlier this month from uh, uh, the the tail end of the uh, GPS approach into there. I'm looking forward to walking on it without uh, a whole lot of clouds and weather uh, obstructing. <laughs> John, I should give you the background here. So Dave and I are both looking forward to coming down to the warm weather and getting a little taste of uh, of the spring and summer that's yet to arrive. 
I'm in Boston, and he, of course, is in Wichita. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, since since we were down there last year, uh, Jeb has moved, and he no longer is in the D.C. area. He's actually in Sarasota now. And he's oh, been, terrific. He's been yeah. tormenting us all winter long about how beautiful it is where he lives. So he's, he's, well, you know, if there's a question about how has the weather been down here, I have to be very careful because my brother... Uh, lives in Madison, Wisconsin, which is uh, a record for snowfall. My mom lives in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So whenever they call, I just say, hey, the weather's been really great. Because one time I made the mistake of saying, you know, my mom had told me how cold it was and it had been snowing for days. And uh, I said, yeah, Ma, I know, I, hey, I know the feeling. It's been kind of cool down here, too. There was, a, there, there was silence on the other end of the phone for about two seconds. And then I heard my mom say, Tell me, John, how cold is it down there? <laughs> you know, everything's relative. Uh, but I, I, from from that point forward, I, I just my standard answer is, hey, it's uh, it's great down here. Just That's right. Weather's great. Yeah, yeah, Burnside gives it to us. Man, it's chilly today. I had to put socks on. <laughs> That's not fair, is it? No, no it's, it's not, not fair at all. It's, it's not, not fair. fair at all. But it's fun. It is fun. So we'd like some, some of us aren't bothered by it because we consider twelve months of that kind of weather a little monotonous. But you know that's just some of us. I'm sorry, well, not me. My two favorite seasons are summer and fall, and down here in Florida we have about <laughs> nine months of summer and about three months of fall. So it works out real well for me. Sounds I'm very good. happy. Sounds good to me. So we want to hear about uh, the the exciting things that are coming up for us uh, in a couple weeks when we get down there. But before we do that, um, I think probably some of our, uh, believe it or not, some of our listeners are probably not familiar with your fly-in. Maybe you could talk to us for just a few minutes about the history of the fly-in and some of the highlights from the past. Sure. Uh, Southern Fun is 34 years old. The first event was held back in 1975 and and that year, and uh, as well as the second and I believe third year, uh, were held in January. And it was a midwinter fly-in and some of the uh, promotional material suggested that folks fly down and, and uh, thaw out their birds uh, because of the, the good weather in Florida as opposed to where it might be a little chillier up north, as we were talking about a minute ago. Uh, but by about the third year, there was actually snow down here in Lakeland, uh, so they pushed the event back <laughs> a little bit further in the calendar year, uh, first to March, where it competed with uh, spring training down here in, in Florida, and they were competing for hotel rooms with the growth of the event over that time, and finally to April. Uh, started out as a weekend uh, fly-in and has since grown to a week-long event. Uh, the focus has always been on education. Uh, primarily hands-on type of education uh, in everything and anything having to do with aircraft uh, construction, uh, maintenance, and restoration. Uh, we also have a trade show element where we have about 500 commercial exhibitors uh, over the course of the week. Uh, we have evening programs. Uh, we have a daily air show that is certainly very visible and very popular. But the focus has always been and will continue to remain on the educational aspects of aviation-related topics. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Any particular uh, uh, events or, or, or uh, aircraft on display or, or over the past years that stick in your mind that are notable? Well, I, I think, first of all, the, the first impression that, that I have of, of Sun and Fun is of the tremendous number and variety of aircraft that come in, 
especially the experimental category aircraft, the home builds, the vintage, the warbirds, the aerobatic, the ultralight, light plane, uh, and now more recently the LSA aircraft. So it's just, it's a sea of airplanes. And if, if you're considering buying or building, uh, an event like Summit Fund can be very beneficial because you can talk to people who have built or flown virtually any kind of airplane, and usually uh, you'll see a couple of them. So you can compare and contrast what you may be looking for in an airplane and uh, what these folks have built or have been flying. So you can get some great information even along the flight line. Uh, when you're looking at specific airplane, uh, I think uh, one of the things that, that uh, just blew me away and, and understand, like you guys, I've been going to aviation events, fly-ins and air shows for you know more years than, than any of us really want to admit to uh, and have seen a whole bunch of different airplanes. But uh, the F-22 Raptor uh, just knocked my socks off. Uh, I've never seen uh, a frontline military fighter do what that airplane can do with the with the vectored thrust. That it was just a, an incredible uh, display of technology. I thought it was awesome. Uh, the other thing that I, I really enjoyed seeing uh, was uh, uh, the B-2 bomber uh, on the flyby because it's just so big and so quiet coming at you, and, and the heat profile and the sound profile is above and behind, so you really don't see it or hear it until it's almost on you. Uh, mm-hmm. I've also always loved uh, stagger wings. Uh, you know, <laughs> if, if you go up to Oshkosh, you know, right near near theater in the woods, there's there's always a row of absolutely beautifully restored and maintained stagger wings that just you know give me chills every time I look at it. And I always try to take time to to just walk along that row of airplanes, and one is you know better than the other. So I, you know, it's it's hard to just put a finger on one because there, there, there are so many and, and uh, a lot of airplanes for a lot of pilots have an emotional appeal. Either their dad flew it, their grandfather, their grandmother, um, especially with the military aircraft where uh, you know a family member either flew it or maintained it or <laughs> repaired it or built it. Uh, it it's, it's just a, a great thing. So picking one out is tough. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get involved with this kind of thing and, and with Sun and Fun specifically? Well, my background uh, is in communications. Uh, I'm a graduate of UW-Madison in uh, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, my background was more in communications than aviation. Nobody in my family was uh, an aviator, but I was working in Oshkosh at a hospital, of all things, and a position became available in communications at the Experimental Aircraft Association. So uh, I was very fortunate in being hired there. Uh, I wound up working there for 15 years, got the aviation bug, uh, I've been a student pilot forever. Uh, I've <laughs> got about 11 hours of dual instruction, but I've logged uh, close to uh, uh, 300 hours in airplanes that range from a J3 Cub to a B-17 bomber. So uh, I've, I've got the bug. I, I came down here to Sun and Fun a little over eight years ago uh, and have just uh, thoroughly enjoyed the, the transition from EAA up in Oshkosh to uh, Sun and Fun down here in uh, Lakeland, Florida. And that's not even talking about the weather. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so well, you, you, go you guys, you guys scored quite a coup this year in terms of, uh, of uh, uh, well, to, to, to put it kind of loosely, air show acts. Uh, yeah, we've got a we've got a couple of uh, of new things uh, uh, this year. Uh, the uh, the 
we're going to have two uh, V22 Ospreys that are coming in, the tilt rotor, which uh, we've never had down here before. And we're also going to have the Thunderbirds, uh, which have flown here, I believe, in the early to mid-90s, but they were based out of McDill Air, nearby uh, McDill Air Force Base over in Tampa, uh, flew their routine, but then uh, flew back to McDill. This year, uh, the Thunderbirds are actually going to be here for a week. Uh, they arrive on Monday, April 7th, and they're going to be here until Monday, April 14th, which is the day after we officially close. So uh, the Thunderbirds, uh, the Ospreys are going to be here. We've got an international group of air-to-air refuelers, uh, and it includes the largest aircraft that has ever been at Sun and Fun, which is uh, the military version of the DC-10. So, uh, you know, I, I, I was a Jeb that was talking about seeing uh, uh, Runway 5 down here in Lakeland from the air. Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> there's going to be a big airplane on Runway 5 uh, uh, during this oh, year's uh, Sun and Fun. Yeah. We've also what got... About... Uh, Go ahead, John. Go ahead. Uh, we've also got some uh, aircraft from the Commemorative Air Force. Uh, they're bringing, uh, I think, the first aircraft in their fleet, uh, which, which is a P-51D uh, red, called Red Nose. They're bringing an LT-6, uh, Douglas SBD-5, a PT-26, wow. uh, and they're also bringing, as far as I know, the only airworthy Curtis uh, SB-2C Helldiver. So wow. it's going to be real neat uh, with, with those airplanes and and. The CAF aircraft are going to come in a in a flight of uh, thirteen airplanes, I believe, wow. immediately before the Thunderbirds arrive on Monday. So mm. you're going to see some historic World War II aircraft uh, uh, hear hear the roar of some of that heavy metal, and then watch the Thunderbirds come in and, and uh, uh, within you know thirty minutes of each other. Sounds like a real uh, incentive to show up early. Yeah, absolutely. And we just heard today that in addition to the uh, Osprey, uh, that we're going to have two Harriers that are going to be arriving on Friday, April 11th, and remain uh, uh, at least that day and possibly overnight and taken off the next day. So, uh, okay, adding to that checklist, extra earplugs. Okay. <laughs> now, John, I'm, all those things are very exciting. I'm particularly excited about the Osprey. I've always thought that was a cool airplane, and I'm really looking forward to getting my first look at it. Is it going to actually be doing flybys during the week, or just be on static all week, or what's the plan? It, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to arrive on Friday, April 11th, uh-huh. and it will remain on static display through Sunday the 13th, but my understanding is that when it arrives, it's going to do a, a brief demo and then hopefully when it takes off, it might do a flyby uh, okay. uh, before it, it heads back up north. But I, have, you, have any of you seen the Osprey fly? Yeah. Not in person, no. I, I haven't seen, ever seen that either, and I'm, I'm real curious to see what uh, Yeah, I, was, like. I had hopes that we'd get sort of a Harrier style of demo each day to see it actually fly in front of us. Because I, I, I actually saw one very, very briefly way back when, when it was still in flight test, still in design. Mm-hmm. And they, mm-hmm. I was living in California, and they were testing it at, at uh, uh, NASA Ames, which is Moffett oh, Airfield. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and one day I was driving up uh, 101, the, the, the highway, the freeway there, right alongside Moffett. And as I'm driving up the freeway, I almost got an accident because the Harrier is hovering <laughs> off to my right, you know, right there wow. over, the, over the runway. It, uh, so, uh, it, it, they, they are really impressive aircraft to see up close. I would imagine. I would imagine. So I'm looking forward well, to that. And the, the Thunderbirds are always great. And you're just going to have a lot of airplanes on the ground there. It's, uh, you know, that, that those those parking areas are going to be really crowded this time. They're always crowded, yep. but they're going to be really they, crowded. They really are. Time. 
A couple of other things that we've got going on is that uh, last year, for the first time, we had the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association hosting a tent, and they, they right near our main gate, and they moved one or two aircraft, different airplanes in every day so people could see them as they were entering. Uh, this year, we're going to have 20 aircraft, LSA aircraft, right at our front gate, creating an LSA mall uh, right as people come in. So I think that's going to be kind of exciting. Uh, and then with the Air Force uh, Thunderbirds, they're going to be bringing a 185-foot by 185-foot exhibit called the Do Something Amazing Tour. Uh, oh, and cool. I hear it's something that is absolutely fantastic and that it has a simulator that uh, recreates spatial disorientation. Uh, there's an interactive, galley, uh, an interactive gallery on the men and women of the Air Force as well as a state-of-the-art movie theater that delivers uh, uh, an audiovisual presentation uh, on the Air Force. And then there's this uh, Air Dominance uh, Video Game Center that enables each one of you uh, to try combat, reconnaissance, or cargo drop missions on a simulator. So it's mm. oh, kind of cool. man, there's going to be such a line. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, great. I think they've got a couple of different simulators, so hopefully it won't be too long of a line. In addition to uh, all of the aircraft on display, uh, there's things like uh, there's uh, the you mentioned the educational stuff, the forum program. Is there anything any particular highlights from the forum programs that you can? I, 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 I kind of dropped that. I don't know if you have a list nearby or how much you have in your head, but I always enjoy that stuff. And uh, we have about 400 forums that we offer through the Sun and Fun forums, and then uh, there's a uh, an FAA facility here on the Sun and Fun campus that operates year-round, and the FAA also offers about an additional 40 uh, forums. And uh, the, the neat thing, and, and, and you guys know this, but perhaps some of your listeners don't, is that the FAA forums are air-conditioned. I'm not recommending one over the other. It's just, you know, it, it, in the middle of the day, if you want to take a little bit of a break, you may want to populate the, uh, the FAA seminars. Yeah. Is that one of those little subtle hints that it could be warm there? <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it, it can be. And, and, and the, 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 the strange thing is the last two years, you know, when you get on site early, and I know uh, Dave Higdon is a, is a crack-a-dawn type of guy, uh, but if you get on site 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning the last two years, it has been cold. Uh, cold for Florida, okay? Just, I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. Uh, and then, you know, it'll, it'll heat up to 80, uh, 80 degrees by the middle of the day, but in the morning, I mean, it's, you know, a couple times it was in the high 40s or low 50s. And in Florida in April, that's cold. That is cool. Yeah, yeah. I got out to Paradise City a couple of times last year, uh, where I I, I was uh, uh, a guest of your uh, radio Sun and Fun radio chairman Dave Shawbetter, stand with him mm-hmm. in the volunteer campground, and I was like, get up, get cleaned up, stick my nose out, and decide whether it was blue jeans or shorts. <laughs> whether it was sandals or tennis shoes. And yeah. there were quite a number of mornings there when it was not only sand, uh, tennis shoes, socks, and jeans, but it was also overshirt and jacket, at least until, yeah. you know, 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Absolutely. You know, that, that that's really that's really kind of pleasant 
to to start the day with dew on the ground and you're bundled up and you go grab coffee and then uh, by the middle of the day you can visit the the, the car or the campsite and, and shift into something much more florida like yeah yeah, yes. absolutely. Speaking of that, um, one of the highlights for us um, when we attended last year was working with Dave Shelbutter and the Sun and Fun Radio folks, uh, where we uh, did an episode of this podcast uh, live on the on the station, and that was a thrill. Yeah, I remember that. That was we, uh, we had a yeah, lot of fun with that. Yeah, yeah, and so thanks. It, I hope you guys do it again. We are doing it again. As a matter of fact, we liked it so much, we're going to do it twice. Uh, All right. We're actually doing two episodes. This is as much for our listeners as for, as for you, John. Uh, we are doing two episodes of, of Uncontrolled Airspace while we're down there. One will be on uh, day one of the event, Tuesday, uh, right after the Daily Air Show. And the other will be at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, the closing day. Uh, we'll be recording these episodes from the deck of the Sun and Fun Radio building, uh, which is there apparently near the... Uh, this is the new location of Sun and Fun Radio, and uh, we're inviting uh, all of our listeners and friends of the podcast to come on by and say hi. Bring your lawn chair and your coffee, and uh, you know, and uh, and and or, and, or, or other libations, or other libations appropriate to the time of day. No, 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 no. Yeah. In addition to uh, in addition to recording the podcast for posting on the net, um, it will be broadcast live on the AM radio station. I believe it's AM fifteen ten uh, during the event. Uh, That's correct. It will also, I believe, be simulcast on the. I, I always blank on the name of this is terrible of me the the flight line radio thank you very much flight line radio uh and uh, um it's just we're really thrilled uh, uh dave and his gang are just a, a wonderful hosts and uh, they made us feel very comfortable and, and very at home last year and we're, we're looking forward to it again so we'll be down good there well we appreciate you guys coming down here and, and uh and, and broadcasting live from uh, from sun fun so yeah. thank you guys yeah thank you, well, thank you. It's, it's it's a little scary providing an actual human target to our our audience, but we've gotten through it so far. So, yeah. well, and, and, and wearing you know rain slickers does help. Uh, yeah, so, you know, all, all the rotten tomatoes just kind of we can just be hosed off and stuff. Um, I, I did want to ask you also, John. Uh, one of my favorite things at uh, at Sun and Fun is uh, the vendors. Is traipsing around the hangars and, and kind of kind of seeing what's new in the in new products or or new services being offered and whatnot. Um, can you give us some metrics, uh, please, on um, on the the vendors who are going to be present uh, this year? They're all here. <laughs> every, every single one of them will be here. Actually, Good with, with uh, Good answer. Uh, we're, we we have five hundred commercial exhibitors, and they include literally. Uh, everything from A to Z, and that would be avionics to zero-time engines. So, I mean, you've got the, all of the airframe manufacturers. You've got the avionics guys. Uh, I mean, everybody from Garmin to everybody who sells Garmin. So, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, it's, just uh, uh, it, it's a wonderful opportunity. I mean, if you're if 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 you're coming in. And you're pricing things out. I mean, it's almost like going to one of those auto malls where you know you need to buy a car, but you don't know if it's going to be a Chevy, a Ford, or an import. But you go out to an auto mall, and, and all of the, the dealers are out there, so you can really shop and compare not only price but performance. So everybody's here, literally, uh, and it's a great opportunity to get all the information you need on any product or service 
uh, all of the, you know, a lot of the vendors are also announcing uh, new technology uh, because you. of Son of Fun's very fortunate position to, to kind of, you know, our, our tagline uh, is uh, the aviation year starts here. And because Son of Fun has traditionally kicked off the, the, the aviation season, a lot of the vendors and exhibitors are announcing new products and new technology. So uh, well, it's that, a great opportunity. Go ahead. I was going to say that's been one of my arguments to, to friends of mine that have you know had this perennial debate: Do I go south in the spring or do I go north in the summertime to get my major air show fix? And uh, you know, first off, I, I like to encourage them to do both if they can possibly yeah. do it. But one of the things that has been consistent for now, I haven't been coming to Sun and Fun very long. I think my first one was '82, maybe '81. <laughs> Not too long, huh? Uh, Way back in the 1900s. Well, we, 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 we well he's so, that we, old. We, I mean, you, know. we, 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 you guys were still in single digits the first time I came, and mm-hmm. ultralights were brand wow. new. Uh, wow. And I remember meeting a guy named Don who was the ultralight chairman for the first year. They had an ultralight chairman, and it was my first big, big aviation event as an aviation journalist. And it created, you know, a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for, for, for Sun and Fun and Lakeland. But one of the things that's been consistent year in, year out, is that if you want to see the newest, neatest, fresh out of the development hangar stuff, what's been hidden behind closed doors all winter long, and you want to see it before the other kids on the block, you come to Lakeland in April. Yeah. Yeah, you know, in that vein, we just learned today via press release that Garmin is announcing or has announced and will have available at Sun and Fun their brand new portable, the Garmin 495. Wow! Uh, so you know, there you go. There's there, the first opportunity to see one up close and in person is uh, uh, coming up in 12 days. Yeah, I just wish the price and the model number matched up. John, in, in a minute, I want to ask you a little bit about some some logistical information about dates and location and how people get there and so forth. But but first of all, on a little bit more serious note, um, some of the, our listeners in our online forums area have been talking about uh, the fact that uh, some uh, many states around the country are are trying to assess taxes on visiting aircraft. And I know this has become a bit of an issue um, with you folks and, and trying to clarify it for potential Sun and Fun attendees. Can you tell us a little bit about what the, the latest is on this and, and kind of perhaps add some clarity to the whole thing? Well, it's, it's tough getting clarity because the, the more people you talk to, the more variations on the theme you get. Uh, we have been in contact with the Florida Department of Revenue and have received assurances uh, that there will not be ramp checks down here at Sun and Fun. And in fact, uh, while the Florida Department of Revenue has uh, an exhibit down here for commercial exhibitors who need to pay the appropriate state sales tax on the sales that they generate during our fly-in, uh, that there are no uh, agents from the Department of Revenue that are going to be doing ramp checks or anything like that. Now, I know that there have been... Uh, several aviation organizations that have been fighting the fight in uh, Tallahassee, which is the Florida State Capitol. Uh, the legislature is in session uh, right now, and currently it's my understanding that they're considering two bills that address temporary uh, use of, of uh, taxes on aircraft in Florida. 
but uh, nothing definitive has come out of the legislature that, that I'm aware of. You guys might be more up on it uh, than I am. But uh, it's an issue. Sun and Fun has been receiving uh, telephone calls and, and emails regarding it. Uh, we've not been swamped, but I know that it's been uh, uh, a hot topic of, of conversation on, on some blog sites and, and chat rooms. So uh, it's something that, that we're trying to get a more definitive answer on. Uh, and we will, as soon as we get one, we'll we'll put something up on our website. Yeah, it's it's been something of interest among our listeners also, and uh, there's been some discussion. We, uh, uh, like you, uh, have been in contact with Department of Revenue here in Florida, and have gotten like you the same kinds of uh, responses uh, to to our inquiries. Um, the bottom line seems to be, and I, I have to underscore that because, John, as you say, I mean, um, there's uh, um, a lot of confusion here. Um, the bottom line seems to be, though, if, if, if a, uh, an out-of-state pilot owns an aircraft that he, he or she has had for more than six months, they can bring it into Florida um, for any reason, for any length of time, uh, and not have to worry. Uh, about, that's correct. That's, that's uh, about our understanding as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's correct. The, and that's the vast majority of aircraft out there in the fleet, anyway. So, yeah, um, well, that's the that's Florida, the bottom line. Florida Department of Revenue also gave us a statement saying that uh, aircraft that don't quote unquote have a Florida nexus, that is, the owner is not connected in some way or another with doing business in Florida, or the officer of a corporation or company or owns Florida, property in Florida. They come in for, uh, uh, my word, recreational visit. Let me get the mm-hmm. exact quote. Yeah, like, well, because exact I would definitely quote. count Sun and Fun as recreational. But uh, in the last graph of their response to us, um, if the aircraft is purchased out of state but visited the state for a few days for pleasure within six months yeah. of purchase, use tax would not be imposed. So... I, you know, I've always considered coming to Lakeland for sun and fun a pleasure. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, for, for folks that are worried that that airplane, they took a delivery on in, in Wichita or Duluth or uh, 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 Kerrville or, or wherever in the last six months, and they're coming down to Lakeland for pleasure, take a deep breath. Have your pleasure, enjoy yourself, go home. You're not going to get a tax bill. That's right. right. So That's according right. to Florida Department right. of Revenue. Yeah, and, yeah, and, 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 and I think the, the, also, go ahead, John. I think the answer that that you were looking for, I think, uh, in regard to the the issue of nexus, is what we have is that if there is no nexus to Florida, Florida would not and would be legally unable to impose a use tax on aircraft purchased and operated outside Florida by a non-resident for less than or more than six months. Yeah, right. uh, if the Absolutely. aircraft is brought into Florida within six months of purchase outside Florida for use related to training, repair, customization, or business, use tax may be due. Aircraft purchase and use outside Florida for six months or more would not be subject to tax. Florida also tells us um, that a they will they do not the Florida Department of Revenue does not conduct ramp checks, and b they will not be at Sun and Fun 
nor do they use other similar fly-ins as enforcement opportunities. So um, I, I think the coast is clear. Yeah. yeah so, and this is straight from Florida DOR. Right. And if you need right. anything more definitive than that, shell out your 250 bucks an hour and hire a lawyer. That's right. So as this, <laughs> as this matter develops, um, assuming it continues to develop, uh, you can check the uh, Sun and Fun website. We'll give that URL in a few minutes. Um, uh, also, the uh, uncontrolledairspace.com uh, forums will be posting information as we learn it. So, uh, so that's a little, bit, a little bit of clarity on that subject. So how, do, how does one go about attending? First of all, let's say the dates. We haven't actually said the dates. What are the dates? of Yeah, the sorry about that. Dates are April 8th through the 13th. Uh, this year we knocked off that last half day that Dave Higdon often referred to as vendor bonding day. Uh, we are, we are, we're down to uh, six full days. And I think uh, having the Thunderbirds fly on Saturday and Sunday with wheels up at 3.30 each day is really going to generate uh, quite a good crowd on the the two final days uh, and, and keep them here uh, until after the uh, Thunderbirds have completed their uh, their routine. Yeah. Now, how do people get there? So, and, and the answer is, you know, planes and buses and trains and you name it. But uh, no, the answer is get the notum. Thank well, you. Yeah. If you're yeah, flying, that's, that's and that goes one. without saying, yes, go ahead or say <laughs> that, that's it. Number one, and the no, the notum is absolutely imperative because uh, usually on peak arrival and departure time, well, on peak arrival times, there's a uh, their orb, uh, aircraft are orbiting, orbiting around uh, Lake Parker on the north side and then get single file and, and head into the airport. Uh, Sun and Fun in Lakeland is located right off of uh, Interstate 4. Uh, we are almost halfway in between Orlando and Tampa, uh, conveniently located halfway in between Orlando and Tampa. <laughs> so even if you're flying commercial, uh, you can fly to either one of those two uh, major airports and, and have a quick uh, quick drive over here. So pretty easy to get to uh, interstate highways here and, and certainly a direct shot with an airplane. What's the housing situation like? Is it too late to get hotel rooms? or It's never well, too really, late in Florida. The, yeah, it, it, it really isn't because uh, you, you may not be able to get uh, a, uh, a hotel room in Lakeland, but there are so many, you know, tourism dominates Florida. So there's a hotel uh, very nearby, and by that I mean within 30 miles, you're going to be able to get a hotel. Mm-hmm. Now, when you arrive, you can buy you can buy a, a pass into the event for one day or the whole week, or how does that work? What are the packages or structure of that? Exactly the way you described it. You can come for a day, you can come for two days and buy two single-day tickets, or you can uh, buy a weekly wristband that's good for the entire week. Uh, daily uh, wristbands are 35 bucks. Uh, it's 95 for the week. If you're a member of the Experimental Aircraft Association or the Florida Air Museum, uh, it's $30 to get in. And on Saturday and Sunday when the Thunderbirds are flying, uh, we are honoring our Florida uh, hosts uh, and active military personnel with $15 admission. And on all days, kids 12 and under are admitted free. Cool. Right. And so that admission gets you access to just everything we've talked about. You get to walk around everything. all the airplanes, attend that's the forums, correct. check out the exhibits. Uh, Every day at Sun and Fun is one price day. That's right. That's okay. correct. That's right. And last year was the first year that we opened the flight line uh, to everybody who uh, uh, registers. Uh, we have some flight line ambassadors that 
make sure that uh, some of the uninitiated or uninformed are not doing things to airplanes that they're not supposed to be doing. Uh, <laughs> it worked out very well. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked out real well last year, and, and really, it was uh, it was an outreach effort uh, to help educate people on airplanes and aviation. So it, it really turned out to be a real positive. Mm-hmm. That's great. I want to. I want to bounce a couple. Of, just one quickie on it. No, go ahead, Dave. Every every year things change a little bit, and a lot stays the same. But uh, I'm curious about two things. Uh, one, Paradise City holds a, a a real soft spot in my heart because that was the main turf I covered in the early years. Paradise City being uh, the ultralight area, correct? Paradise mm-hmm. being right. the light plane ultralight area. Oh, right. And, exactly. And the seaplane splash. Bring mm-hmm. us up to speed on those two things. Oh, boy. Great question, David. Uh, first of all, Paradise City uh, is uh, remains in its uh, same location, still has an active runway, uh, and that is where all of the ultralight activity goes on. But, frankly, the ultralight activity has been declining with the increasing interest in light sport aircraft. So uh, it, it's kind of uh, uh, ultralight seem to be waning. LSA seems to be gaining. Uh, so uh, th- there, there seems to be a transition going on down in Paradise City, but they're sa- the same activities, uh, sunrise and sunset uh, each and every day. Good deal. The seaplane splash in, and I, I feel very badly that I did not mention this earlier. We uh, the splash is going to be... <laughs> Thanks, David. Uh, the splash is going to be held over at uh, Kermit Weeks' Fantasy of Flight. Uh, that is a great side trip, even before this. But yes. this, to, to me, now if I understand this correctly, your wristband at Sun and Fun gets you into Fantasy of Flight during the two days that the splash is going to be going on over at Kermit's Lake. Is that do I understand that correctly? Well, just so that we're clear, it gets you into the splash in. Right. And it also gets you a discount to get into Fantasy of Flight. Uh, okay. okay. Okay, good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, tell us a little bit more about things that are going on at the splash Well, we have uh, a bus that will be going back and forth each day. Uh, there's a one-way cost of $3 uh, each way to get there and back, but uh, we're going to be running the buses all day. splash will be on Thursday. And I'll tell you, it's, it's going to be really, I think it's going to be really exciting because Kermit has done such a great job of developing not only the fantasy of flight, but there's an actual seaplane base there. Yeah. Uh, Kermit's done a, uh, you know, he's developed that part of fantasy of flight specifically uh, for seaplanes, amphibs, and, and uh, everything having to do with airplanes on water. So they'll have well, a day long. You need some place to put that short Sunderland. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's a big, that's a big A airplane, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, they're going to have all sorts of activities going on uh, all day Thursday with, you know, the, 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 the bomb drop and the, you know, all, all that stuff. So it's going to be pretty fun. We're, we're real anxious to see how that works out because it's the first time we're uh, – uh, we're over there, but uh, I think it's just going to be great because how many people can say that they flew into Fantasy of Flight? Mm, sure. yeah. Absolutely, that's great. Uh, that's it. When I when, when you all popped the release out on that a few weeks ago, it was like, you know, Parker was always nice and convenient, mm-hmm. but in in terms of accommodating spectators, which seemed to yep. grow pretty pretty good year in year out, yep. uh, it had some limitations. It could get really difficult to find a place to park. Yep. Uh, finding a piece of shoreline to, to get a clear view. Uh, back when it was a little more of a sleepy, you know, break from winter fly-in, 
you know, it was the perfect solution. It was nearby and all that. But over the years, it just about strained itself out of uh, accommodating all of that. Yeah, it really did. And, and Kermit's place, number one, Kermit has been a, a great friend uh, to Sound Fun, you know, for years oh, yeah. and years and years. Uh, and, and this is, I hope it underscores the the cooperation uh, between Sun and Fun and, and Fantasy of Flight. It's just a wonderful operation over there. Kermit's got a great staff who has been so accommodating to everything that, that, that we're, we're trying to do. And, and I think it's an indication of some of the projects that we hope to be working on uh, into the future. Uh, one Does other the discount in Fantasy of Flight count on the days when the splash is not going on? Yes. Excellent. Yes, it does. Okay. What else? What are we? What have we missed, John? Is there something I should have asked you about that I didn't? What I, I, I think one of the things, and, and I always try to, to recognize the, the people who really make our event possible, and that's all the volunteers, volunteers. Uh, that we have. You know, we talked a little bit about the activity taking place throughout the site, and we touched on the volunteers doing some, you know, touch-up jobs here and there, and, and some of the folks who've been here as long as, as since October, but. I tell you, last year was the first time that we exceeded 3,000 volunteers in in our records. So, I mean, it's it's just an unbelievable undertaking, and it's not only the things that they're able to accomplish, but it's it's the enthusiasm and and the skill that that they bring to the table that that really makes us successful. So, uh, a huge hats off to to all those folks for for helping us uh, put on what we do. Yeah. And a note for our listeners who may show up at Lakeland for Sun and Fun. If you really want to really want to experience being part of an event, go down to the little kiosk where they're looking for volunteers and throw your hat in the ring to work a few hours, a couple of days there. You will make friends that you'd never make otherwise. You'll experience the, the event from a perspective that you'd never see otherwise. Uh, and you'll become part of a family that uh, it, it is just... You don't quite get just bopping in and out as a spectator, somebody paying the gate admission. Uh, yeah, it, it's right. a wonderful way to experience the air show. You do some good. You contribute to the good of the whole, and you'll make lifetime friends. So don't be a bashful. If you got time and inclination, you're coming down to Sun and Fun. Uh, they're always in need of more volunteers. Yeah, Absolutely. We absolutely positively are, and I appreciate the uh, uh Appreciate plug, plug is what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's a learn. technical term, isn't it? <laughs> you can learn more about the uh, Sun and Fun Fly-In at their website, which is sun-n-fun.org. Is there a shorter version of that, or that's the one? That's it. Sun-n-fun.org. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, all kinds of information. I'm looking at the page now. Uh, you can actually buy tickets online there. You can buy tickets in advance, right? And, yes, uh, you can. That's um, absolutely correct. All kinds of uh, little news stories highlighting some of the things we talked about and some other things, and uh, it's just uh, I'm getting all excited here. So uh, thank you, John, for uh, for joining us this afternoon. <laughs> Time to go. That's right. You got to go back yeah, to work. We you got to get back Jeff. out there and get things prepared. You know, I yes. thought you were going to tell me to take the rest of the day off. For <laughs> no. no, no, you got to get it ready. We're on our way. Well, all right, John, Jeff, Jack, John. David, thank you very much. We look forward to seeing all of you down here in Lakeland in a couple of weeks. We will. Thank John, you, John. Looking forward. As always, we'll yep. see you pretty soon. Well, that was great of John to join us in the virtual hangar. It's always great to uh, hear about all the cool stuff that we're going to see down in Florida. It's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, um, it sounds be, like it's going to be a very special year. It should be a lot these. of fun, and, and it should, there should be some sun. Well, and, you know, it, it's like from one year to the next, there's going to be so much that's familiar 
and comfortable um, because it hadn't changed, and so much that has changed to make it feel like it's new and different. Well, and that's that's one of the things I love about most of these major fly-ins yeah, that's, is that there's a little true. bit of that churn from one year to the next. And, and that's true, um, and um, certainly you know another reason uh, to attend if you, if you need another reason to attend Sun and Fun. But I you know I, I I'm always reminded I have a, a very close friend of mine, very accomplished pilot. Um, who uh, he'll be at Sun and Fun, but he'll only be there, you know, for, for as, as the short a time as he can stand it. And I'm like, you know, dude, what what's the problem? He says, well, you know, I just, um, you know, you've seen one of these shows, you've seen them all, and I'm just going there. To, <laughs> kind of go through He's the never motions. seen one of these shows. Well, my that's kind of my reaction also, but more importantly, I said, yeah, I, you know, I go to the I go to the Sun and Fun, I go to Oshkosh, I go to other air shows. <clears throat> To see the airplanes, to see the vendors, to see what's new, to to, to get the vibe and, and and this kind of thing, but I also go to to see the people. Yeah. To see to see the people that I haven't seen in in a year or six months or whatever the time frame is, uh, because there a lot of these people you know kind of congregate. The three of us will be congregating at Sun and Fun. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you know, there will you, be people you, at Sun and Fun who I haven't seen since Oshkosh, or or uh, or whatever. Or Sun and but, Fun last year. Or Sun and Fun last year, but whom. You know, with whom I have regular contact via email or telephone, whether they're uh, business associates or, or just friends or contributors or, or whatever, and um, uh, that to me is is as much uh, a value of, of events like Sun and Fun and Oshkosh and, and others, uh, just as uh, seeing the airplanes. In some ways, I care less about seeing the airplanes. Well, that's well, yeah. it, you know, there, there, there's some logic to what you say because. Uh, my connection with some of the events that are on my annual circuit is so beyond logic. It's so right. beyond business. It's so much an emotional connection. It's Pavlovian almost. You know, uh, almost. I mean, it's there. There are so many folks that I'll get to see during this little week in April that I don't see the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And there'll be so many folks that I'll see several times during the year. Uh, and everything in between, uh, and the ones that I only see once a year, uh, gee, many they're going to make me feel like long lost family. We're going to be caught up in a day. Well, we're gonna enjoy Dave, they may be long lost family. You never know. <laughs> well, that's true. In my case. <laughs> Dave, Dave, you hit the nail right on the head. As far as I'm concerned, when you said that the that the one of the best things you can do is is walk up and volunteer. You know, mm-hmm. for for anyone who who thinks, well, okay, but I don't know a lot of people at Sun and Fun, so it's really not. You know, just go up and and find some area the of the fly-in that you're interested in and raise your hand and say I want to volunteer and you will suddenly make friends like you you wouldn't believe and and those people who volunteer in that area will volunteer there every year you'll meet meet up with them every year you know I mean I I had been going to Oshkosh I've only been to Sun and Fun this will be my third Sun and Fun but I've been going to Oshkosh for a long time and when I had been going about six years in a row um, as much as I enjoyed it it was kind of becoming the same thing over and over again and that's when I stepped forward and started volunteering um, and working with the newspaper and uh, and that just really kicked it into a whole you know new level for me and and ever since then there's just never been any question that I have all kinds of things to do every summer when I go to these there you events, go you know? well and there's I can't conceive of going to one of these events and not being energetic enough interested enough to go see the things this year 
that I didn't see last year. Yeah. Because very few people I know outside, you know, us masochistic addicted go every year, see everything, stay all week plus is that nobody sees the whole thing every year. And there's just enough incremental change from one year to the next. There's enough churn in the crowd uh, that between the old friends that you made before and the old friends that you're making for the first time, uh, between seeing some of the new things that didn't exist a year before, seeing some of the same things you see every year, that uh, you could come away from one of these trips and not go, you know, that was really worth the trip. Yeah, yeah. But then again, I'm one of these people that says if you're not, engaged in the aviation community just being a pilot isn't enough you know mm-hmm. it's, it's it's like being a member of a club where you never go to any of the meetings but you pay the dues mm-hmm. uh well gee what good is that if you can't participate you're missing out and this is one of those areas where you can participate that's right that's right and if you don't think and if, and if all that doesn't convince you, you have some friends at sun and fun come on by to one of our recording sessions and there we'll, you be, go. we'll be your friend and uh, we're looking forward to it we want to thank john burton for stopping by the hangar this afternoon it was great i know he's really really busy right now and uh, it was terrific of him to take the time you can learn more about uh, the sun and fun fly-in at sun-n-fun.org uh, sunandfun.org with some hyphens in the middle there you can also learn more about Dave and his work at, uh, oh, that's right, we're going to Google your name. Eventually, we're going to get that website. Google Dave Higdon. Yeah, Google Dave Higdon and uh, learn all about his writing and his photography. We're going to get that website back online uh, before much longer. Learn more about Jeb Burnside and his work at uh, jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com, and myself at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And visit us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. Uh, Visit the forums and uh, catch up on what we're going on. Say hi. Oh, yeah, my, my quick and dirty plug. Yeah? You guys on the forums, just kick tail feathers yeah uh, it is so good to drop in there and see what you're talking about how it's off on its own way to go folks absolutely we love it check that out at uh, uncontrolledairspace.com or uncontrolledairspace.com slash forums so thanks for everyone for joining us in the virtual hangar this week and we'll talk to you all again next time 